Whenever you see but in the Bible, most of the time it is meant to show a contrast between what I'm getting ready to say and what I've already said. Peter here writes and puts a contrast between the people he's been describing in verse 7 and 8 with the people that he's currently about to describe. He describes the people in 7 and 8. He says, these are the people who rejected Christ, who disobeyed a gospel, who disobey and dishonor God, and therefore they are destined for destruction. But he says, unlike them, different from them, but you are, in contrast, you are a chosen race. Hello and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Life Church Canton Podcast. My name is Sam. I'm the host. Thanks for listening. This week is what we call in the church world a standalone message, meaning that it is not part of any specific series, but um, whoever the speaking pastor is kind of gets to talk about what's on their heart. So that's what Daniel's doing in this sermon. Um, again, last week we had our New Life Weekend, which is our baptism weekend here at the church. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and check it out. There's a couple of people's testimonies at the beginning of the episode. It's not like a normal episode. Um, and then next week we are starting our Christmas series called In Wonder. Um, and make sure you tune in for that and come out for that as well. All right, here's Daniel. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Man, please remain standing for God's word. We will be in, almost felt like Simon said for a second there. Thank you. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If you have your phones, your iPads, your iMinis, your iBrain, whatever you got, it's also on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession so that you and I will proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for your grace, your truth, your love for us. We thank you that you haven't left us without a identification of who we are in you that you've also assigned to us a purpose. Now, God, I pray that you would use this hour, this time, to open our hearts and minds that we may know who we are and whose we are. Help, Lord, that may the Spirit of God take and use the Word of God to reveal the purpose of God to the glory of God. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. Because I know you guys are wonderful Christians. You would stand there for the whole service. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. And oftentimes we find ourselves in one series or another. But few times we get to preach what's called a standalone message. Where perhaps the preacher gets to share some of the things that God has burdened his heart with. And this is one of those days that I get an opportunity to share with you some of the things that God has burdened my heart with for us as a people. And so... We're going to unpack what 1 Peter has for us this morning. 
Peter writes this epistle, this letter, 1 Peter, to Christians who are spread out through the Roman Empire. Five specific cities that Peter writes to. Peter writes to encourage them because these brothers and sisters were going through sufferings and great persecution. These brothers and sisters were in jeopardy of bending and breaking under the pressure of the world. These brothers and sisters had had enough, if you will, in some cases. But Peter, ever the good shepherd, writes to encourage them by reminding them of their firm election in God. That the God who chose them, who saved them, will keep them. And Peter writes to remind them of their inheritance in God. And it's not just about earth, but there is laid up for us who believe in Christ a treasure beyond all imagination. Peter encourages them more specifically by reminding them of their identity in Christ and their purpose in Christ. He reminds them, if you will, of their persona, their new identity in Christ and their new purpose, what God has proposed for them to be together. Peter writes to encourage them. And like Peter, I hope to encourage us this morning. I hope to encourage us by reminding us of who we are and why we are. I hope to remind us, to encourage us that we should not bend and break under the pressure of the world that would have us be a divided body, that would have us be disconnected from each other, that would have us not be brothers and sisters as God has intended. My hope is that God will use this sermon to show us who we are as a people and why he has brought us together in Christ. The church today is more divided than I've ever seen. I have never seen the church as divided as I do today. And I'm not speaking just local church. I'm speaking the body of Christ all across the world. We are separated by things that ought not to separate us. We are divided by things that shouldn't divide us. We are divided by our political affiliations. We are more concerned about being Democrats, Republicans, Independents, whatever you want to count yourself, than being Christians. We're divided by socioeconomics, the have and the have-nots, those who have studied and those who have not, those who have degrees and those who are not. We are divided by things that even the world isn't divided on anymore. But even more painfully, the body of Christ is divided by race, by ethnicity, by the beautiful things that God has made to show his manifold glory. We find ourselves divided. My hope is that God will help us this morning by seeing what his word has to say. So in order to hang our thoughts, in order to guide our time, I have two points that I want to push. Two things that I see in this text, two observations, if you will, two truths that are found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I broke it into two sections. First, we will see a new people described. It's a new people, a new race that God is describing here. And secondly, we will see a new purpose defined. You know God, God who thinks about everything, he never makes anything without a purpose. God isn't like one of those artists that sells paintings for $3 million and you're like, what was he thinking and drinking when he painted this? God is a designer and every good designer has a purpose for his design. First, let's see in verse nine, the first part, We'll see the people described. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Peter uses four phrases to describe who we are. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. 
if we capture what that means alone, the church changes. The world even changes. What does it mean to be a chosen, chosen race? Peter starts off by saying, but you are. Whenever you see but in the Bible, most of the time it is meant to show a contrast between what I'm getting ready to say and what I've already said. Uh, Peter here writes and puts a contrast between the people he's been describing in verse 7 and 8 with the people that he's currently about to describe. He describes the people in 7 and 8. He says, these are the people who rejected Christ, who disobeyed a gospel, who disobey and dishonor God, and therefore they are destined for destruction. But he says, unlike them, different from them, but you are, in contrast, you are a chosen race. They are unchosen, unselected by God. But because of his grace, you and I who believe in Jesus are a chosen race. It's interesting here, the word race here is the word genos, where we get the word genetics from. So we get the word Genesis even from. It says that you have a new spiritual DNA in Christ. Your family of origin is no longer your family. You got a new family in Christ. He says you are a new race. One person gets that point. <laughs> but it's okay. It says you are a new race of people, a new genetics of people, a new DNA of people. You no longer should recognize yourself as white or black, but you are now Christian. We could stop here, and that's good enough. But since I got 20 minutes more material, we'll go in. <laughs> but Peter says that you are a chosen people, chosen for God, by God. Not because of anything we've done. Chosen has a weight to it that we can't really fully unpack. But it means you were elected by God. Somebody didn't leave you on God's footstep or doorstep, and he had to figure out what to do with you. No, he selected you. He chose you. Not because you are pretty, even though you are. But he chose you because the Bible says because he felt like it. That's a freedom, folks. Here's what that means. It means you didn't do anything to get saved and you can't do anything to get unsaved. There is a freedom in knowing that God's love for you has no shelf life. It says you are a chosen race. I selected you to not be white, black, Puerto Rican, Indian, but to be Christian, Amen. to look like Christ. You know, there's a lot that we talk about. You know, we try to be cute and we say, well, we're meant to be unified, not uniform. You ever heard that before, that we're meant to, to act like, to, to be united in our cause, but we don't have to look like each other. You ever seen a married couple that's been married for 50 years? Don't they start looking like each other? <laughs> Sucks for the wife, doesn't it? Start looking like your wife and she starts looking like you. Is that John or is that Sally? <laughs> oh, that's Sally John. Okay, they're, they're coming together. Okay. He made us into one to be unified in him. Here's the fun thing about being unified versus being uniformed. If my goal is to look more like Christ and your goal is to look more like Christ, we're going to start looking like each other. Your chosen race. Can you imagine the weight of this? What it looks like if and when the church recognizes this truth? What happens to our world when the church becomes so unified that it's contagious to the world? 
that the world says we have racial issues and we in the church said, no, we don't because I love my brother. I see color and I love it. I see the beauty of every ethnicity in this room. And I say, guess what? That ethnicity counts. And guess what? You have now a new ethnicity in Christ. Brings us to our next point. He says that you are a royal priesthood. Peter could have stopped at chosen race alone, and that would be enough. But he says you are a royal priesthood. What are priests? Priests represent God to the people and the people to God. He says that you are a kingly priest. These two offices were disconnected in the Old Testament. You were either a priest or you were either a king. You weren't both. In Christ, you have both. And he refers to you and I as kingly priests, kingdoms of priests, a royal household of priests. It means that we get to intercede on the behalf of each other and on behalf of a dying world. Don't ever, Christian, forget the power that God has given you. You hate what's going on in the world? Get on your knees and pray because you are a priest, a royal household of intercessors for the glory of God in this world. He says you are a royal priesthood. He says you are people that God has chosen. You have come together under God to be like God, to be what God has called you to be. Then he goes further, he says, you are a holy nation. The word here is hagios, ethnos. word ethnos is where we get the word ethnicity from. He says, your ethnicity is new now. You're no longer what you thought you were. You're not bound to a nation. You're not bound to a political party. You're not bound. You're not a patriot of America. You're a patriot of heaven. You're not a citizen of the United States. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I have made you into a new ethnicity. Your president is God. Not any human being who will fail you. I've learned enough about history to know that every single kingdom stops existing at one point. Every great kingdom. Look at the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Medo-Persia Empire. Look at the Aramaic Empire. Look at any kingdom you can look at. Look at Egypt, for God's sake. Look at Iraq. Look at Afghanistan. They all at once were kingdoms on their own, but only what we do in Christ will last. He says that I have made you into a nation of priests, into a chosen race. This is my passion to see God's people become one and united in God. This is my burden to see that I know the pain of racism even in the church. I know what it's like to be discriminated against by fellow Christians just because God chose to make me black. I know what it's like for people to say things like, Daniel, I don't see your color. And you think it sounds good. But what you've just said is that God made a mistake in making me my color. I want you to see my color but then I want you to love it in Christ. I want to see your color, your nuances, your differences, and love them in Christ. You know, a modern-day prophet, John Legend, said, I love your perfect imperfections. (laughs) Amen. That'll preach. He says, I love your perfect imperfections because all of who you are was made and designed by God to make you you. 
And when I obscure that, or when I downplay that, or in the sake of being politically correct, I say I don't see those things, what I have just done is say that what God has done in you is not worthy of me noticing. In fact, what that means is that my problem is not with you, my problem is with God. That God made a mistake in making us who he made us. He didn't make a mistake in making you white. He didn't make a mistake in making me black. He has brought us into a whole new race. It's my passion because it's God's passion. What father do you know that wants his children to be disconnected from each other? What parent is happy when their children don't love or care for each other? You tell me that parent and I'll tell you someone who's not a parent. I'll tell you someone who doesn't love their kids, but the joy of every good parent is to see their children with all their imperfections, with all their differences in harmony, using it together collectively for the glory of that household. And who deserves more glory than God? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, bound to no president, bound to no country, bound to no government, but we are citizens of heaven kingdom of God, the body of Christ is who we are. We have been called together. This is why I love the work that we do at Be The Bridge. It's a great opportunity on Tuesdays where we sit together, amen, whites and blacks at the table surrounded by God's truth and asking the hard questions. If we are one in Christ, why are we disconnected by race? It's a hard question. And sometimes we get deep into it, folks. Sometimes we got to pull away from the table slightly (laughs) and then come right back in and ask the big question. Why am I uncomfortable talking about this? Why am I more uncomfortable being called a racist than taking the time to look at myself and see if I have promoted things that are not godly? And this isn't just for white folks. It's for black folks too. Why is my identity stuck in my blackness and not in my Christianness? Why do I let people bring me down by the color of my skin without being able to stand firm and say, God made me this way? If the church gets this passage right, the church will be the kingdom of God on earth. Failure to get this right is failure to be who God has called us to be. And I got a saying, folks, kingdom power is only for kingdom purpose. And if you're not kingdom people, you cannot be kingdom purposed. And if you can't be kingdom purposed, you cannot have kingdom power. The church is powerless because the church is not united. You ever read Acts where they says they were all in one accord? Somebody will say, it was hard to get all these Christians in one car, ain't it? But yes. (laughs) Where there's love, there's a way. But they were all together in one accord. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that the power of God flowed through that city. Kingdom power is only for kingdom purpose and can only be for kingdom people. And you cannot be kingdom people if you're disunited and disconnected. Royal priesthood a holy nation, a chosen race. Now, Peter could have stopped here. Peter could have stopped here and we would have been good. 
Peter could have stopped even in verse 10 where he says, for you were once not a people, but you have now become the people of God. Definite article, the people of God. You were separate from each other, alienated from God. You were not a good people unto each other. But in verse 10, he says, God has brought you together to be a people, his people, the people of God. Peter could have camped out here and done, but he goes further. He says that you have been called to be God's own possession. I love how he says it. He says, he says, he says in, verse, in verse 9, the first part, he says, you are a people for God's own possession. Don't miss that. You're not a people of God's possession, but you have been made a people for God. Okay, I'll do it this way. The only reason you've been called together as one in God is for God. Which means God is the one who gets to describe who we are and define our purpose. You have not been called together as a people to have a Kumbaya International Putlock Day on one Sunday of the year. You have been called together to experience that so you can get a taste of what heaven looks like. You have been called together as a people for God. Which means if you're not for God, you cannot be a people. If it means you're not a people, then you're not for God. I'm going to do it again. The identity of a church is wrapped up on who called it, not in who is in it, because who is in it is informed by who called it. In other words, the church stopped being unified is no longer a church. Pack it up, go home. If you're not united in the identity in Christ, you cease from being a church because you are a people for God's possession. I love that term in the Greek. It means to encircle something or someone in order to preserve and protect them. It means the God who saved you keeps you. As the old folks would say in the black church, he keeps on keeping you. Mm-hmm. You like that? It's a run-on sentence. He keeps on keeping you. There's no need for being grammatically correct in the kingdom. He keeps on keeping you. The God who brought you in and encircled you and gave you a new name and gave you a new purpose will continue to provide for you because you are living in his truth. He is not obligated to provide for the church what the church needs if the church doesn't do what the church is called to do. That's a mic drop moment for God. If my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways and and look at me and and face me, then he says, I will heal their land. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. That if my people, my people who are called by my name, my Christians, if they will live out the truth of their identity, they will experience their purpose and they will experience power unmatched. We can't change the world because we, in many ways, have not been changed. We are God's own possession. He has preserved and protected us. He has acquired us, it means, with a cross. What was that cost? The priceless and precious blood of Christ. May it never be said of the church today that Christ's blood is wasted on us. May it never be said that the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God was wasted on a people who did not know their identity. The Bible says it this way, that my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge of who they are and whose they are. Because if you know who you are and you know whose you are, 
you can accomplish anything. Even in psychology today, the biggest struggle we have is that people don't know who they are. They are being informed by everything else. In fact, there is a system, a, sim, a symptom called, a disease called imposter syndrome, where you feel like you're an imposter and that people will find you out. If we be honest, every one of us has suffered with that at some point, feeling unqualified for something. But you know what I love? Is that the Bible talks about how Jesus, knowing where he came from, knowing where he was going, in other words, he knew who he was, he humbled himself and washed the feet of the disciples. If you pay attention to that verse, what that verse tells you is that because he knew who he was, he didn't have arrogance. Because he knew who he was, he wasn't prideful. Because he knew who he was, he was humble. Because the church knows who they are, they can serve and love each other. He says that we are these people that God has brought together to be his possession. This is who we are. This is what it is to have a people described. Now, secondly, we want to talk about a people, a purpose defined. A purpose defined. God in his mercy, God in his wisdom makes nothing without assigning to it, first of all, a purpose. The purpose precedes the creation, not the other way around. Look with me, if you will, in the second half of verse 9. He says, so that you may proclaim. You were brought together. You were made a race. You were made a nation. You were made a priesthood. You were possessed by God. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What does it mean to proclaim? It means to give a full report of the awesomeness of who God is. To proclaim the excellencies of God is to proclaim the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God, the godness of God, the hugeness of God. I like to think sometimes about how A.W. Tozer, a, a Christian writer, writes about how before eternity God existed. Can you even begin to fathom that? I don't remember what happened 15 minutes ago sometimes. <laughs> that before eternity... God has always existed. God doesn't need anything. God is in need of nothing. If you've existed for all eternity, what new thing can be found? If you have all, that, that makes my brain melt. That God has existed way before eternity. In, in fact, Isaiah 9 says he's the father of eternity. He gives birth to time. This is the God that we serve. You proclaim the excellencies of this God. You don't proclaim a small God. He needs you to come to salvation. No, God wants you and God summons you. That's what it means to be called. That word doesn't do it any way. It's a summons from heaven. Amen. Think about it when Jesus speaks to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. Out of the womb, out of the tomb rather. Did Lazarus say, hold on, wait a minute, Jesus. I got an appointment with death. Uh, can we reschedule? Can we get a rain check, Jesus? The Bible says instantly he came out because in God is the power of life. And so when God says he called you out of darkness, he summoned you out of, it is a holy summons from the kingdom of heaven. You can't fight that. Amen. However way you fight it, however way you try to run from God, one day, one day he will find you and he will look at you and he will summon you out of darkness. Bless God that our salvation is not dependent on God or us is dependent on God. Because if my salvation was dependent on me, I will lose it. 
I don't know about you, but there's some days that Daniel don't look holy. Okay, only one person in here agrees with me. You struggle with pride. God bless you. But there is a God who summoned us, who pulled us, who drew us, who opened our eyes to see his goodness. Ain't that something? It takes God to open your eyes in order to see God. It takes God to enlighten your heart in order to want to be saved so that he can save you. Where do we get any glory in this? Where are we good? Where is it on us? Who gets the glory when I have to open your eyes in order to see what's good? Because everything we know in this world is bombarding us with what's not good. He saved us out of darkness, out of sin, out of the bondage to lust and long after those things that would actually destroy us. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from hell. He saved us from eternal separation from him. You get to proclaim the excellencies of that God? Amen. Amen. And he calls us, summons us, that we will proclaim the excellencies of him who summoned us out of darkness and into his light. He's done this, and it's marvelous. He, sun, he summoned us into light. When the Bible speaks about light, it speaks about intellectual and moral knowledge, a knowledge of God that leads to right behavior. Conversely, darkness is a ignorance of God that leads to ungodly behavior. And so when the Bible says you are in light, it is not meant to say you become perfect. It is meant to say that God is opening your eyes to see him more and more, and you are walking away more and more from the world. It means you are a holy nation. You have been set apart for God from the world and onto God. Sometimes people struggle with that word holy. It doesn't mean you're perfect. For instance, not to trivialize, if there's one last piece of left at the house and I want it, that piece is holy. It's set apart for my purpose. If your wife bakes a cake and tells you that we have people coming over at nine, don't touch it, that cake is holy. And if you want to keep your marriage, you will know that that cake is holy. It's set apart for God's purpose. We are a people who have been called out of darkness, summoned out of darkness into light to be set apart for God's holy purpose. God did that, and he's worthy of praise. This is our new persona and our new purpose in Christ. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's who we are. Human being leads to human doing, not the other way around. We often start off by saying, what do you do? Because we think it gives you insight to who they are. Maybe start out by saying, who are you? Then that informs what I do. That's how God starts. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Then the question is then, based on who we are, What do we do? We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let me give you three practical ways that you can do this. Three practical ways. You might be here and say, preacher, man, I appreciate it. I understand that I'm a people of God. I'm great. I love that. Thank you so much. It's worth the price of admission just to hear that. Excellent. I also know that I purpose to proclaim. But what does it look like nowadays to proclaim the excellencies of God? 
Well, because I thought about you, I have three ways that, I can, that you can do that. As priests, we represent God to people. And we represent people to God. We serve as intermediaries for a world and even for each other. Here's three ways that I've learned to do this in my own life and maybe it'll help you. First is I meditate on God's word. You cannot share a truth that you don't know. I meditate on it. I model God's standard. I live and love in line with God's word and in light of God's word. I try to. I pursue that. Then I mediate God's truth. I share it. Let me give you even more practical ways to do that. As I meditate, one of the ways I do is by daily devotions. I try to get some time in with the Lord. Quality over quantity. I'd rather you spend one minute with the Lord than no minutes at all. I'd rather you spend three seconds finding a scripture and honing in on it and asking God, what does this mean? And just letting that sit in your spirit. What it means to meditate, it's, it's really a good term. It means for a cow to chew food, spit it out, chew food, spit it out, chew food, spit it out. To meditate is to rehearse over and over God's truth. I do that through daily devotions. And sometimes I do that through version. They have an audio app where you can just play God's word in the background. The church itself has spent money in creating a right now app for you for free for you, but at a cost to the church that you can take advantage of. And it has all kinds of resources. The era that we live in, it's not an illiterate era, it's an alliterate era. What the difference is, is that it's not that we don't have resources, it's that we have so many that we don't even have a joy to touch them. It's not a lack of resources, folk. You have a plethora of resources that other, other eras, other nations, other people wish they had. Right now, media is one of those things. Any biblical podcast that plays God's word over and over. In fact, I have one of our sisters here that does, um, that does Uber, and she says she'll just play God's word all day long as she's driving. Way to, way, to, way to get two for one. Like that. So we can do that. Now, how do you model God's standard? How do you live and love in line with and in light of God's word? I usually ask myself at least three questions before I do something. Here are those three questions, and maybe they can help you. I ask myself, are my actions in line with God's word? Which means that you have to know God's word in order to know they're in line with God's word. That's why we started to meditate. Second question I ask myself is, will my words or actions honor or dishonor God? Will they honor or dishonor God? Will this business deal that I'm getting ready to get into, will it honor or dishonor God? Well, well, how I'm responding to my wife, will it honor or dishonor God? Well, how I'm responding to my son, dishonor or honor God? And thirdly, I usually ask, will my words or actions betray my Christian identity? If I, if I see a brother who's different from me and, 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 and I push away from that, I love my brother Marcus. He's, he's often talking about how having come to faith in Christ, it's, make him, it's made him love people that don't look like him instantly. He instantly gravitates, in fact, to those people than he does even to people that look like him. Because the love of God compels him to do that. And so I ask myself a question, does that betray my identity? Do I run away from hot button issues, race, ethnicity, or do I run into it with God's truth? I ask myself those questions, or do I do, I do things? Do I take jobs? Do I, do I do these things? Do I do them in a way that betrays my Christian identity? Will someone see that and say to me, I don't want to be a Christian? And how do you mediate God's word? 
How do you share it? How do you share it with the world? How do you share God's goodness? There are three ways that I do that that might be helpful to you. I pray for opportunities to encounter Jesus daily. And I pray for opportunities to bring that encounter to other people. I pray for ways that I could love and care for people. And then sometimes, secondly, when I'm eating dinner or at a restaurant, I ask the waiter, how can I pray for you? You'd be surprised how shocked people are that you saw them, but even more so that God has seen them through you. Ask them that. Thirdly, you may want to invite someone to worship, to God's house. You may want to relentlessly pursue one more for their good, that they may encounter Jesus. You may want to do that or invite them to small group. These are ways that I do it, that I would do it. Pray about it. Think about those ways how you could interact with God's truth. But above all, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that God has chosen and selected for his own glory, for his own possession. We are a new people with a new purpose. Let's live that out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you that you haven't just saved us and left us to ourselves, but that you in your mercy have made us a new people with a new purpose. Now, God, I pray that the hearts of your people, the people who are called by your name, that we would hear your truth this morning, that we would jettison every social name, social title, black, white, Indian, whatever, that we would find our identity first in being your people. That we are Christians who happen to be black, who happen to be white, but we are first of all Christians. Let there be a love for the brotherhood. Let there be a love for the brethren. Let there be a love for each other that permeates through the whole body of Christ. Let the world see us and be jealous of that love and ask the question, why do you love each other? And at such times, God, let us be bold to proclaim the excellencies of God who summoned us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For the Christians here, I wish to encourage you by reminding you of your persona in Christ and your purpose in Christ. You have been chosen. We have been chosen for a purpose. And as you live out that purpose, I pray that kingdom power will be poured out into your life in such a real way. And maybe you're here and you are not in Christ. Heaven will summon you. Such is my prayer for you. That God would open your eyes to see who he is. That he is the good God who summons us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you have legitimate questions, don't walk away. Be intellectually honest with yourself. Reach out to any of the saints that are in here, any of the Christians, any of God's people here who are willing and able and wanting to share God's excellencies with you. Reach out to any of the pastors. That's why we exist, to share God's truth with you, to have those real hard conversations. Because at the end of the day, folks, I am solid in my confidence in who God is. And there are no questions that you will ask me that I am not willing to answer. And if I don't know the answer, we can learn together over lunch or over dinner. 
we can have real conversation about a real God who really loves you. I pray that you would encounter Christ even through the sermon, even beyond. And maybe you have encountered him through the sermon. Maybe you say, Daniel, I want that purpose. I want to be a people. I want to know the love of Christ, the unity that is found only in Christ. Well, you may pray like this, that, Father, I have sinned and come short of your glory. I want to experience your purpose. I want to experience being part of your people. I want to experience the love that encircles and preserves and protects your people. Open my heart to see you, Lord, to know you, Lord. And my prayer is that God will meet you at your point of needs, even now. And we would love to hear from you. Father, I pray all this in your name. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, text I'm new to 734-349-3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with someone and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.